of a sermon series we've been in for the last couple of weeks where we are exploring this powerful, beautiful, amazing letter written by the Apostle Paul. The series is called Paul's Letter to the Philippians. Paul's Letter to the Philippians. Let's take a moment. Let's bow our heads. Let's still our hearts. Let's prepare for the Word of God. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to read your word, to pray to you, to sing to you, to honor you, to celebrate you. We thank you for the opportunity to do that with other men and women who are coming together to learn about you and to grow in you. We're so grateful, so thankful, God, for the opportunity to come once a week and celebrate you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts to receive the word. Let it take deep root in our hearts let it transform us, and let it be an expression, Lord God, of who you want us to be. Let it pour out of us. Let, it, let us be light in this community. We love you, thank you, and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not do a lot of introductions. I'm going to dive right into the letter. The letter is from the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to a church that he loved very much a church that he was so thankful for, a church he had planted 10 years earlier. He's writing from a prison in, in Rome, and he's writing these words in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from Christ's love, if you have any common sharing in the Spirit, if you have, if you have any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Apostle Paul keeps saying, I'm rejoicing. You bring joy out of me. I want you to make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. How do we do that, Apostle Paul? How do we have that oneness of mind and spirit? He says this. Here's how. Number three, verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Anything else, Apostle Paul? Anything else we need to do there? Yes, he says, in your relationships with one another, verse 5, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, what was Christ Jesus' mindset? Well, he says, Jesus, verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Wasn't grasping his rights. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to death, even death on a cross. What happened after he did that, Apostle Paul? Well, here's what happened. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. How many knees? Every knee should bow. Every, every knee in heaven Every knee on earth, every knee under the earth should bow, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today I want to focus your attention on the subject, rising high by bowing low. Rising high 
by bowing low. In ancient Greek mythology, we meet a fascinating character by the name of Narcissus. Some of you may have heard of Narcissus. There's a famous painting of him by an Italian painter, Caravaggio. And the story of Narcissus is a story of an individual who is allured, enamored by his own beauty. Narcissus is somebody who is absolutely gorgeous as described in Greek mythology. Everybody who sees Narcissus falls in love with him, but nobody is good enough for Narcissus. One day, after he rejects the advances of a beautiful young maiden in the Greek mythology, he is cursed by the gods. And the curse is simply this. Here's the curse. The one he falls in love with will never be able to reciprocate his love. That's the curse. You're going to fall in love, Narcissus, but the one you fall in love with will not be able to reciprocate your love. Not long after receiving the curse, Narcissus goes to a a pool of water for a drink. He looks in the pool, and for the first time in his life, he sees his own reflection, and he immediately becomes infatuated with himself. He just can't stop staring at his reflection in the mirror because he just looks so good. He's completely entranced by his own beauty, but of course, his reflection, the reflection of his image that he falls in love with, cannot reciprocate his love. It's just a reflection on the water. He's unable to leave the allure of his own image because he's fallen in love with himself. And, the, and, and, and so what he does is, in the, in the story, he stares at himself day after day. The fire of desire burning inside of him until he simply melts away into nothing. That's the tragic story of Narcissus. The story is a tale about the destructive traits of self-absorption. It's a story about pride. It's a story about ego. It's a story about the consequences of an unhealthy preoccupation with oneself. Don't look at the person next to you this morning. Just stay focused. This is where we get the word narcissism, which means an elevated sense of self-centeredness and self-entitlement. It encompasses a hunger for appreciation and admiration, a desire to be the center of attention, and an expectation of special treatment reflecting a perceived higher status. The story of Narcissus is as relevant today, if not more so, than it was in the time of the ancient Greeks. Because here's the truth, y'all. All All of us, from time to time, have struggled with the preoccupation of ourselves. If you're saying, that's not me, that's my sure indication that this sermon is for you. Today, we don't stare into reflections in a pond. We're far more likely to use technology to indulge our sense of self absorption. If a modern artist today were to paint our picture of Narcissus, it might look something a little more like this. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the occasional selfie, okay? But when your favorite image to share with the world is you, altar call. Prayer team, can you just? (laughs) There might be some narcissism creeping in. In 2013, 
The Oxford Dictionary proclaimed the word selfie to be the word of the year based on a 17,000% increase in the word from the prior year. 17,000% increase in the word. As of today, approximately 92 million selfies are snapped and shared every single day. Now, now, now there's nothing wrong with doing a selfie every once in a while. But if our preoccupation becomes us, that can become a problem because we can become a culture, even as followers of Jesus, who are absolutely obsessed with ourselves, our desires, our wants, our needs, our comfort, our pleasure. Some, some researchers have even called this time uh, that we're in right now in our culture, they've called it a narcissism epidemic. And the problem is this. The more we focus on ourselves, the less we focus on God. The more we focus on ourselves, the less we focus on our family. The more we focus on ourselves, the, the less we focus on the needs of our friends. The more we focus on ourselves, the less we focus on our church community. The more we focus on ourselves, the less we focus on the needs of the society around us. And here's what happens. Here's what happens when we develop an unhealthy preoccupation with ourselves. This has been studied and documented over and over and over. Here's what the researchers tell us. When we become overly self-focused, we begin to experience a greater fragility in our own sense of self-esteem. We begin to experience an inability to handle criticism, a lack of interest in the problems of other people, a shallower sense of values and morality, a greater likelihood of addiction to drugs and alcohol, a greater need for constant attention and praise, greater difficulty maintaining relationships, greater psychological suffering, and greater loneliness. In other words, the preoccupation with ourselves causes us to be like Narcissus as our life begins to spiral and devolve. One researcher put it like this. He said, being self-centered is costly. It is at the root of many psychiatric illnesses, including addiction, personality disorders, anxiety disorders, and depression. Self-centeredness damages relationships because self-ruminations rob you of the capacity to tune into and attend to others. It robs you of the ability to be empathetic. It is a vicious cycle because the anxiety that drives negative self-centered ruminations causes more anxiety. It leads to disconnection, fuels addiction, which creates more disconnection and self-absorption and so on in a downward spiral of misery. It's not what God wants for his church. Self-absorption and narcissism and this inward looking at ourselves is not what God wants for us because it's not good for us. The Apostle Paul says, I want you to do exactly the opposite. I want you to be countercultural. I want to paint a picture of what Jesus is like and the mindset and the attitude of Jesus, and then I want you to emulate that. He paints a picture of Jesus who empties himself, who submits himself, who humbles himself, who is obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is the picture that the Apostle Paul paints for the church. He says, I want you to experience that. I want you to bow low, not just for the sake of bowing low, but because God cannot exalt you if you have exalted yourself. If we exalt ourselves, we'll be humbled, Jesus said. But if we humble ourselves, we'll be exalted. If we want to experience the joy, confidence, hope, peace, and power of Jesus, then we've got to walk the path of Jesus. So what I want to do for the next few moments is I want to walk through this passage line by line. 
And I want to look at what I've, what, I've, what I've found in the passage, five core values of a faithful Christian community. What, what does it look like for us to emulate the mindset of Christ, to live out the mindset of Christ? If we want to experience the courage and the joy and the power of Christ, what does it look like to adopt and embrace his mindset? Okay, let's go back to verse 3, and we'll, we'll walk this out together. The first one is this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Value number one is simply this. It's not about us. It's not about us. Tell somebody next to you, it's not about you. Okay, tell, tell the person that said that to you, hey, it's not about you either. Okay? It isn't about you. <laughs> There's this great moment in the launch of the church when uh, one of the followers of Jesus, a man named Philip, goes up to Samaria and he begins to preach the gospel in Samaria and people are coming to Jesus in Samaria and these incredible works are happening in Samaria and there's an individual, a man named Simon, not Simon Peter, a different Simon, a guy named Simon the sorcerer who sees what's happening and he sees all of these incredible works and, and, and he wants to get in on what is happening. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 8. It says, now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. Simon boasted that he was someone great. He was self-congratulating. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. He said he was great and everybody agreed with him. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, so Philip came with a different gospel, When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, this is interesting. Verse 13 says, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Even this self-boasting, self-proclaiming sorcerer Gave his life to Jesus. But how many of you know giving your life to Jesus, baptism and salvation, that's the, that's the starting line of your Christian walk. That's not the, that's not the end. You don't, get, you, don't, you don't get saved and all your struggles go away. Simon still had some stuff to work through. By the way, we baptized 27 souls into the body of Christ last Sunday. So amazing. That's the beginning of their journey, right? Because the stuff we came to, the gospel with, we, we, we still got to work that stuff out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Simon still had some stuff to work out because he had spent his life pointing everybody to himself. In, in the story, uh, uh, Peter and John come up because there's a revival breaking out in Samaria. So they start to come up and they start to lay hands on the people and the people are receiving the Holy Spirit. In verse 18, it says this, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, huh, he reached into his wallet and he said, can I get some of that? Can I get some of that power? He said, give, somebody say me, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom, somebody say I, on whom I lay my, somebody say my, my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He hadn't worked it out yet. He had gotten saved, but he still had some struggles. He was still a little self-aggrandizing. He wanted the Holy Spirit to be about him. He said, man, I could use this. I'll pay for this because if I have this gift, now I can 
work on this gift. I can have people back following me, right? When he said this, Simon Peter, the other Simon, Simon Peter answered in verse 20, may your money perish with you. I don't know how you would translate that in, a, in today's idiom, but I have some ideas. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Simon Peter says, Simon sorcerer, it ain't about you. If you want to be a part of the gospel, it's not about you. If you want to use the gifts that God has given you, it's not about you. The gifts are not given for your self-aggrandizement. The gifts are given for you to serve somebody to the glory of God. That's what this is all about. Church, let us be a church that always remembers it's not about us. Let's put Christ on the throne. Let's put Jesus in the right spot because this is all about him. If we want to be a church that brings true transformation, true healing, I mean, just absolutely change across this city, it can't be about us. It's got to be about the one who sits on the throne. It's got to be about the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I am, the word made flesh. It's got to be about the one who is and was and is to come. Every word we speak, every thought we have, every action we take has got to be directed at bringing honor, praise, and glory to him. That's the first mindset. The first mindset is, somebody say, it's not about us. Not about us. Keep reading in verse 3. It says this, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. Value number two is we are other-focused. We are other we're other focused. We're focused on others. In 2019, a runner from West Africa by the name of Brahma Dabo had qualified for the 2019 World Athletics Championship. He was a young man, 18 years old. He was excited to compete on the biggest stage he had ever, ever been in, and he was running the 5,000-meter race. But as he neared the finish line of the race, he noticed that one of the other competitors, a runner named Jonathan Busby, had begun to collapse due to dehydration. And it looked like Jonathan was not going to be able to finish the 5,000-meter race. He decided that in that moment, he could have just run past the other runner. He could have just blown past him, crossed the finish line, and beat the other runner. But he, tr he decided in that moment to value someone else above himself. Take a moment, look at this video. Is literally dragging the brave Aruban Jonathan Busby to the finish line. They are going to finish together here. The crowd are on their feet. Anybody who's able, standing to salute this outstanding demonstration of sportsmanship and camaraderie. They didn't travel here to drop out, they traveled here to finish. I love how Busby checks his clock at the end. Like, what, what was my time? <laughs> <laughs> that man was on a mission. I got to finish the race. After, after the race, 
um, Dabo said, this is what he said. He was quoted as saying this. This is an 18-year-old young man, okay? He said, the person next to me had a goal to finish the race. I just want you to think about that. He's, he's thinking about the goal of the person next to him. He said, the person next to me had a goal to finish his race. And to achieve this, he needed my help. For Jonathan and me, finishing our races was so important. Our countries bestowed us with the greatest honor, and therefore we had to finish the race. Human kindness, he said, should always transcend our personal goals. The world today, more than ever, needs kindness. In our life, as in sport, we must not always focus so closely on competing and chasing personal goals that we are blind to the pain of those hurting around us that may need a hand. Can I just hire this young man right now? Where... Where is Mr. Dabo? His heart went to the interests of somebody else. And in that moment, he made a choice to help someone else finish their race. He had no expectation of any applause for this moment. When he was later interviewed, he said it was just a snap judgment call. I was just running and I saw that he wasn't going to be able to make it, so I helped him. But here's what happened. In 2019, he won the World Athletics Fair Play Award. He's been invited to speak to corporations around the world. He was invited to give a TEDx presentation. The president of Portugal invited him to meet with him and receive honors from that country. A group of admirers flew him to see his family who he hadn't seen in eight years. And to top it off, he and Jonathan Busby have become lifelong friends. He rose higher than he ever expected by taking a moment and bowing low. By putting somebody else's needs above his own. He acted in a way that the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus is calling us to act. Church, let us be like this young man who can look at the needs of others and occasionally set our own needs aside. Our own goals, our own aspirations aside and say, let me reach out to somebody in need. Philippians 2.6, we'll keep moving. Jesus being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Value number three, if you're taking notes, our responsibilities are more important than our rights. Man, that's a hard one. I want to focus on what God is calling me to do. What God is calling me to do. My solemn duties, my sacred responsibilities, more than what I deserve. God, what are you asking us to do? In the book of, of 2 Samuel, we see this moment where David has a moment where he can claim his right. But instead of claiming his right, he focuses on his responsibility. He's, he's, he's holed up in a cave. The Philistines are all outside of the cave. And they're over in the area of Bethlehem. And he longs for a drink of water from his hometown. He grew up around Bethlehem. And there's this beautiful well with gorgeous, clear, cold water. And he mentions offhandedly to his, his warriors, he says, wouldn't it be great if I could just have a drink of that water from Bethlehem? Just says it offhandedly. And three of the warriors take him at his word. 2 Samuel 23, 16 says this. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. The next verse says, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord and said, far be it from me, Lord, to do this. He said, it is, is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives for this water for me 
and David would not drink it. This is one of the most powerful moments in David's leadership because a lot of times he would put, later in his life, he would put his rights above his responsibilities. But in this moment, he had every right to drink the water that was brought back to him from his mighty warriors. But he said, I, I want to focus on getting my men home. I want to make sure that my men get home safe and sound. I'm not going to enjoy the benefit of my position. I'm not going to enjoy the benefit of my role without focusing on my responsibilities and duties that are set before me. I want to challenge us today. The, the, the scripture says that Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, he said, I could, I could call down 10,000 angels right now. I could, I, there's so many things I could do right now because I have every right to do it. But I want to bow in humility and service before those who need me. Can I just tell you, if you, wanna, if you want your marriage to flourish, if you want your relationships to flourish, don't stand on your rights. Bow in service to the person that you are called to serve. Bow in service to the person that you are called to love and watch your life flourish. Man, it just got so quiet, y'all. But G Jesus is saying, and the Apostle Paul is saying, I want all of you to do this in your relationships with each other. I want you to serve one another, care for one another, look to the interests of one another, L look, to, look to, to the needs of one another. And even though you don't have to, even though you could, you could say, man, that, that's, that's not my job, serve one another. Put yourself underneath each other. Let us bow and serve each other as the body of Christ. If you can imagine a community that just does that, a community that serves one another, you walk into a community where everybody's not trying to say it's about me. Everybody's saying, how can I serve you? Man, you just want to be a part of that community. That's the picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Verse 7. It says, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Value number four is serving is our default activity. If you're in the body of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, then serving is your default activity. Can I just take a moment on this point? I don't want to do a long illustration. I want to just take a moment and acknowledge the dream team of One Family Church. I want to say to the hundreds of men and women who serve every week in One Family Kids on the safety team, on the first impressions team, on the production team, on the worship team, on the admin team, on the youth team. Thank God for each and every one of you. Can we just thank God for the dream team this morning? They have figured out what it means to have the mindset of Jesus. Our default as Christians is service. That's our default activity. Our default is God, what have you given me that I can use to elevate or exalt or assist somebody else? That's the default activity of a follower of Jesus. And this is the truth. And I've said this so many times. The greatest joy you will ever experience in your life. I want you to get this. Because this applies to your work and your home and your family, your relationships. The greatest joy you will ever experience in your life is when you use the gifts that God gave you to serve somebody else to bring honor and praise to God. I'm just telling you, the greatest joy you'll ever experience in your life is not when you figure out who you are. It's not when you say, oh, you know, it's all about me. It's when you say, man, I'm going to use the gifts and strengths that God has given me to serve somebody else to bring honor and praise to our Heavenly Father. That is the greatest joy you will ever experience. If you're not serving in some area, let me invite you into the joy of doing what you are made to do what you are called to do.
be a part of the team. Find a place to serve in the community. Find a place to serve with one of our outreach missions partners. Find a place to serve at your job. Find a place to serve in your home. Serve somebody else with the, with the strengths God gave you and the gifts God gave you to bring honor and praise to him. Amen, somebody? All right, we're about to wrap this up. Here we go. Verse 8. It says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Value number five is we sacrifice in love. What does it mean to have the mindset of Jesus? It means we sacrifice in love. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he bowed low. On the night that he was betrayed, he went to a garden. A garden I've been to, a garden they call the Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane, the word Gethsemane means oil press. It's the garden where there are heavy stones that press the olives to squeeze the juice and the, and the oil out of the olives. Jesus went to that garden with his disciples, and he knew what was in front of him, and what was in front of him was sacrifice. This is someone who could have stood on his rights. This is someone who could have done anything that he wanted to do. He could have said anything that he wanted to say. And he got on his knees and began to bow before the Father, knowing that the ultimate sacrifice was right before him. The pressure was so intense, so immense, that in the, in the Gospel of Luke, it says he, he began to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood on the ground. He knew what he was about to undergo. Can you imagine somebody of this height having to bow this low? He began, to, he began to pray to the Father and even said to the Father, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. I've bowed low. I came to serve, not to be served. I've done my duty, but this is a level of bowing low that is going to be difficult for me. If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, Father. And on that night, he surrendered himself. He surrendered himself to the local Roman guard. And he was beaten, and he was spit upon, and he was mocked. And he was nailed to a cross, lifted up in front of everyone, ashamed and naked, sacrificing his life, the ultimate sacrifice of love. And then he breathed his last, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The ultimate sacrifice taken down from the cross and buried in a tomb. The darkest day in the history of humankind. But thank God that's not how the story ends, somebody. Because after the suffering ended, after death was complete, after the last breath was breathed, after the tomb was sealed, after the sacrifice was made, something strange began to happen. Three days, the mourners mourned. For three days, the devils laughed. For three days, the scholars scoffed. For three days, the critics mocked. For three days, the soldiers yawned. For three days, the politicians sneered. For three days, everybody saw the darkness of sacrifice. But on the third day, early in the morning, while it was still dark, the stone began to tremble. The ground began to shake. The darkness was suddenly pierced by the glory of God. 
And on that third day, Jesus emerged victorious over death, hell, and the grave. The grip of death was shattered. The chains of suffering were splintered. The power of fear was fractured. And the power of pain was destroyed once and for all. The Apostle Paul put it like this. Therefore, God exalted him above every name to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow every knee on earth every knee under the earth every knee in heaven every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father we rise high church by bowing low we rise high by bowing low we rise high by bowing low Noah didn't see the rainbow without going through the rain. Joseph didn't see the palace without going through the pit. Moses didn't see the mountaintop without going through the Midianite desert. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not see the favor of God without going through the fire. David didn't see the throne without going through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus didn't see heaven without going through hell. The scripture says whoever exalts themselves will be humbled, but whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. Church, I pray that we become a church of true greatness. True greatness. Not by reaching out and clinging and grasping, but by humbling ourselves. Bowing, serving, sacrificing for one another and for the world around us. If you want great love, if you want great peace, if you want great joy, if you want great power, if you want great blessing, humble yourself before the Lord. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Church, let us be a church that rises high by bowing low. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you right now. So thankful for your word. So thankful for the truth of the gospel. All of us, Lord, turn towards ourselves from time to time and seek to elevate and exalt ourselves. And we know that doesn't bring glory to you and it brings hurt, heartache, and shame to ourselves. Today, I pray that we would be renewed and re-energized and reinvigorated by the truth of your word and by the power of your spirit. That we would be reminded of what is truly important. You've called us to bow low. Not so we could be groveling people but so that you could exalt us, so that we could be raised high. As we, as we experience the suffering that you went through, so likewise will we experience the glory. Father, I pray that we would be a church that humbles ourselves, bows our knee before you, and seeks to honor you, serve you, and glorify you in all that we do. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.